Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. It's the start of the new week, and it's the start of the new week in the Word for us here. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. That means it's time for Tim with Tim. Each day, Monday through Friday, we take about 10 minutes, give or take a minute. I've been going long. Last week, I went over several days. I'll, I'll try to tighten up here. Uh, we go verse by verse of the Word of God together. We're in the book of Acts, and man, it's just so good. Acts chapter 6 is so good. Uh, I'm glad you're with me. I love you so much. Uh, Acts chapter 6, man, we were rolling along in the early church, man. It was smooth. Everything's growing. People are multiplying signs and wonders, and all of a sudden in chapter 6, conflict. Oh my goodness. Rumblings of discontent, complaining. Oh my goodness. This is when they all became Baptists right here, y'all. <laughs> Rumblings of discontent, complaining. I mean, oh my goodness. We're only six chapters into this. Jesus just barely, you know, ascended back to heaven, and we already got complainers. Yeah, yeah, we do. Oh my goodness. And I love this chapter. I really do. And, and honestly, this uh, this is just how you know that the church then and the church now is the same church. And the amazing thing is, y'all, this conflict isn't a bad sign. It, it, it's just a sign of life. It's a, it's a rapidly multiplying, rapidly growing church, which means the leadership needs change. And, and that's what we see right here. So there's nothing alarming about this. Conflict isn't a bad sign. It's just a sign of people in relationship. Understand? So leadership, why do we need leadership at all? If Jesus is the head of the church, and he is, and if we all have the very same Holy Spirit that animates us, and we do, then why do we need leadership? Shouldn't we just all cruise along, always in agreement, always in one accord? Well, theoretically, yes. <laughs> but understand, Jesus, the head of the church, he always loves to do his work through other people. Jesus always does his work through other people. That's how he works in the world. And, and leadership is just one of the ways that Jesus does his work in the world. Leadership. Now, in the church, leadership is not the same thing as it is, you know, in a corporation or at the, at the factory where you work. It's not the same thing. Jesus makes very, very clear that, you know, among, you know, people of the world, uh, when they're in, in a leadership position, they like to lord it over people. But Jesus says, not so with you. You know, the one who leads, the one who, you know, uh, wants to somehow, you know, be in charge, they do so by serving. Leadership is serving. So leadership is just another way to serve Christ and to serve his people. Make sense? Leadership is just another way that Jesus gets his work done. It's another way of serving Jesus, another way of serving the church. Uh, it is one of the primary means that I serve Jesus and serve this great church at Woodburn. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in a position of leadership. That does not mean that I'm here to get my way. I'm not. I'm here to seek Jesus with all of my heart to see to it that if I'm following him and other people follow me, that they're going to be following Jesus. You understand? It's, I'm not here to, to get a, my own parking place and to see to it that I get, you know, lots and lots of perks and rewards. No, no. I'm just another member of this church. I don't have more say. I, I got a bigger mouth. Uh, but when it comes to decisions, uh, man, we're still a congregation that, that seeks the Lord together. Uh, but again, we have leaders and multiple leaders, and uh, and they're just uh, servants among other servants. That, that makes sense. And so, uh, conflict. 
it's the church here. Now, now what's the conflict? The conflict. Well, uh, the, the Greek-speaking believers are complaining that their widows are being uh, neglected in the daily distribution of food. What? I mean, like, what? That's a lot. <laughs> like this whole time when you know it's Peter and John, you know, or you know, in front of the Sanhedrin, coming in and out of jail. You got Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead. I didn't realize that at the same time, we're trying to run a food program, but, but apparently uh, there's a lot going on here. In a church of thousands, a rapidly growing church of thousands, there's a lot going on and a whole lot you may not know about. I mean, I'm just saying, it's a lot. Now, the Jews had a tradition. Uh, the Jews had a tradition it's called the kupa. Uh, lots of elderly Jews, especially widows, would move to Jerusalem in their old age uh, because there were resources there and, and because otherwise they would live in utter poverty. Once their husband is dead, they're no longer able to farm, you know, keep up for themselves. They would often move into the city. And so there, uh, as a means of keeping them from just living in starvation and poverty, the Jews had a kupa. It was a weekly distribution of food. It was distributed on Friday and there were 14 meals and then emergency distributions at other times. But the kupa was just this way of trying to make sure that the widows were fed. Uh, it sounds like the early Christians adopted that same practice. Remember, all the early Christians are Jews. And so it sounds like, you know, the kupa, that, that, that tradition is something that carried forward into the early church. However, some of the widows are being overlooked in a rapidly growing congregation of thousands, you know? So it's not intentional. And I don't think anybody says it's intentional. They're just saying, hey, y'all, my mama, you know, didn't get her food on Friday, you know? But it turns out most of the people that weren't getting their food were, you know, the ones who have a Greek background, you know? And so anyway, it's the first real crisis for the church. It's the internal crisis. It's a conflict. And I think it's wonderful and very instructive to see how the conflict gets solved. Uh, first off, there's responsive leadership. You know, Peter and John, you know, and James and all the others, you know, they don't come off saying, man, won't y'all quit your complaining? We're out here, you know, getting thrown in jail. Our hind end's been in jail all night and we get out and we got to deal with you complaining because your mama didn't get fed. Feed your own mama. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the, the, the apostles don't get defensive. I mean, they have to hear the complaint, but that doesn't mean it's, it's personal, you know? And sometimes people complain that it is personal, but I don't have to take it personally. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's just, just real wisdom and patience and responsiveness with the, the apostles, I think, which is very instructive for those of us in leadership in, in whatever capacity, you know? Don't take it personally, but listen and respond, you know, pay attention to the need and then see to it that the need gets met. That's what ministry is. Ministry happens when needs get met, you know. So they're hearing, you know, vital information. There are those with needs that aren't being met. And so the apostles respond in, in a beautiful way. Now, not only were the apostles, you know, responding. Again, understand, we got 12 guys with all the authority and all the responsibility for a congregation of thousands, you know. So this can't, this can't continue. As, a, as I said earlier, as a church grows, its leadership structure, its leadership needs will, will naturally change and evolve. And that's what hap happens here. Notice there's a public deliberation here. All the, 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 the uh, Christians together, they all come together 
and, and, and they deliberate. They, they talk this through. There's a corporate decision-making. The apostles don't just, you know, disappear out into the parking lot, you know, and behind the church van come up with a solution. No, this is the church together. The Holy Spirit does inhabit us all together, and he can speak through any one of us. And so they come to this decision together, and, and, and it's beautiful. Notice that the solution is a delegation of authority and responsibility. Like, let's appoint some guys to take this over, you, you know? And notice that they delegate not just responsibilities, not just, okay, we're going to get seven, you know, seven people and they're going to be in charge of this. But now, you know, I, you know, Peter, John, James, and me, we're still going to want to approve all the menus, you know, and we're probably still going to hold the credit card, you know, so you tell us what you've spent and we'll rent. No, Peter, John, and James, the, the 12, they delegate this. You know, I promise you, Peter does not want to choose the menu. Peter does not want to look over the list. Peter's not, you know, checking back on the credit card. You know, please take care of this. They delegate responsibility, but also authority. These, you know, these, you know, these men are, are going to be the guys who make the decisions related to this program. You know, it's, it's authority and responsibility. That's how the work gets done. And then I love just the respect for the divine calling, you know, the apostles understand, man, our job is, you know, the ministry of prayer and the word. I mean, it's very clear, prayer and the word. I think it's interesting that this same tension um, is that same Martha Mary tension. Remember, Martha is trying to tend to the feeding, you know, like the food program. Martha's in the kitchen and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, you know, listening to the teaching. And Jesus acknowledges, you know, but both of these are necessary. So don't be trying to take, you know, one away so that they become like the other. You know, it's, but it's that... That tension between, you know, the feeding, the, the practical kinds of ministry, and then the prayer and the word, the, the more spiritual types of ministry, they both matter. They're both important. And the church is always going to have to tend to both. So notice that they choose seven men. Notice that all of them have Greek names. It's like if it's the Greek ladies being left out of this, let's just appoint some Greek dudes who are going to know these ladies and make sure that they get taken care of. Isn't that good? It just makes sense. Now, verses 8 to 15, that, that well, one of those men mentioned is the man Stephen. Notice that's the first name mentioned in, the, in those men who take over the role. His name is Stephen. And then we sort of zero in on him in verses 8 to 15. He's a man full of God's grace and power. He performed miracles and signs among the people. He's an amazing man, so amazing that he attracts the attention of the, of the enemy, you know? Uh, they don't have anything bad to say about him. I mean, I mean, they don't really have anything truly bad to say about him. So they have to make up something bad to say about him. And that's what gets Stephen dragged in front of the high council, the Sanhedrin. And uh, in that moment, his face becomes as bright as an angel's and his trial begins. We'll stop right there. Pick up there with Stephen. Uh, I just think it's amazing that we hadn't heard about Stephen yet. We don't know a word about Stephen or Philip or Prochorus or Nicanor or Timon or Parmenas, but understand these are amazing men. You know, I just love it because Stephen just comes out of nowhere. He just has all this power too, but like we didn't know his name till now. And he's just an ordinary man of the church. Man, I love ordinary people of the church. All their stories don't always get told, but that don't mean they don't have power and, and, and amazing influence. And Stephen's one of those ordinary people of the church uh, who is about to uh, have a very, uh, very important moment. Uh, are these the first deacons? 
Often we, we present them as the first deacons, but we don't know. They're never called deacons. I and mean, we could say, here they are, the first deacons and their ordination, but we don't know that. We can't say that. I think we always kind of get into trouble when we try to force the New Testament to provide us a manual of leadership. Uh, we don't know a lot about how the leaders function in the early church. We don't know a lot about their titles. And anybody who says they do, all they got is the same Bible we got, y'all, and we all have the same information, and we just don't know a lot about the structure and the, the roles. We don't have any job descriptions, and so it's hard uh, to draw a straight line back from what we do to what you find in the New Testament. Um, so uh, uh, they could be the first deacons. It seems to fit, but just pay attention to the fact that they're never called that in the book of Acts, all right? So pick up right here tomorrow. It, it's just so good. Chapter 7, we're going to do the whole thing. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 59. There's just no place to stop. So we'll just read that whole long chapter. So uh, eat a good breakfast and, uh, and join me in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for 10 with 10. We'll do Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 59. Have a beautiful Monday. I went over again today, y'all. I'm so sorry. I'm going to work harder. Love you so much. I'll see you in the morning, all right? Uh, have a great Monday.